informally get going. Uh, so good to see all of you. I know you're, if you're like me, there's, there's reasons you're probably staying up later than normal, I hope. Not going to mention those because everything's going fine right now. Um, those are lesser things, <laughs> but, but, but we still enjoy them. Um, I've got a few things to announce, and some of this is just right off the presses, so forgive my um, maybe recklessness. We've got new boxes back there. Crystal, thank you so much. And, and what that means is that they're offering boxes and um, prayer request cards, visitor cards, so forth. Really nice. Check those out. They're on both sides. So we're going to continue doing offering and prayer requests and that type thing through that means uh, more so than... I mean, we're going to continue that on, not, not just for the short term. So uh, we're grateful for those. Please make note of those. I want to thank everyone who helped with the fall festival. That went really well. It's always amazing to me how it just comes together. Um, a lot of hard work, a lot of effort, but a, a lot of last-minute you know, crunch. Appreciate that. Tuesday night, we have our soccer season-ending celebration. Tuesday's going to be a really nice day, hopefully much better than yesterday, which we originally had it scheduled for. Don't forget tonight our youth are having a pumpkin smash at 6 o'clock. And they're also planning on going to Reverb. Bryson really needs information if you have a youth going to Reverb uh, in November. So please see Bryson for that. Um, next Sunday, Richard Bumpers will be here. He will preach at both services. Really, really good preacher. We, we have not had him here before, but I've heard him on several occasions and then he's going to lead an evangelism workshop after the 11 o'clock service, and we'll have a, a, a light lunch. So if you want to be part of the evangelism training that Richard will lead next Sunday after church, uh, let me know, let Bryson know. Um, it, it, it won't last very long, but it'll be very helpful. Uh, Bryson and I have gone through it, and we really felt like it'd be good for our church to be offered that opportunity. Um, Christmas shoe boxes, we've got them here. We got 50 of them. So they need to be turned back in uh, in a couple of weeks. So we don't have much of a window to get those prepared and back in. So um, pick one or two up on your way out today and fill those and turn them back in. I'm trying to think if there was, are there any other announcements. I would like to ask you all to pray for... My friend Bill Hayes, uh, some of you know him. He's been here off and on at times visiting. His daughter, Tracy George, died this past week. She was only 59 years old, uh, COVID pneumonia. So we all pray for Bill and his family. Her name is Tracy George. Any other announcements or prayer requests, things I may have forgotten? Catherine did say choir We'll start practicing again next Sunday evening. Yes, uh, so because of weather, we moved one night in Bethlehem's cleanup day to next Saturday. And we're going to start at 10 a.m., but I'm sure there will be people there before 10, if I know this crowd. Um, but anyway, next Saturday, uh, we got a good bit of stuff to, to throw out and clean up down in Bethlehem. So, busy week, but all is well. Jeff? Yes.
Amen. Okay, Charles and Ashley Busey. Thank you. Anything else? Really? Thank you, Lynn. Sorry. Amanda Riggins. Now, I will say this. We're sending out a weekly newsletter that includes prayer requests through email. If you're not receiving that and you want to receive that, uh, please let us know. Is Duncan good? Okay, good, good. Duncan had Bell's palsy, and that can be touch and go. That, that can last a while, too. Well, let's stand. Um, Benji Alexander is going to read our passage this morning. Our passage that he's going to read, and I sprung this on him last minute, so <laughs> thank, thankful that Benji um, is so willing and available. But this is our application for the sermon. So listen to what God's Word says. Thank you, Benji. First Timothy chapter six, starting in verse six through uh, what was it sixteen? I think. Yeah, I didn't write it down. Um, and just to give a little context, Timothy was—I mean, uh, Paul was writing to Timothy, and before this passage, he was warning about the dangers of false teachers, and and what some of their you know false teachings were. And one of those was that teaching that godliness is a means of gain. So I guess even in, in Paul's day, there were these prosperity preachers, you know, like we sometimes have today. So then this passage, he picks up with this warning about, you know, putting too much priority on money. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we can take nothing out of it either. And if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for our time to be here together and to, to worship you and to allow your word to speak to us and to draw us closer to you and to convict us. Um, Father, we're thankful for all of the blessings that you give 
some of which may be material, but help us to never uh, put those things above our desire for you and our need for you in our lives. Just speak to us today, Father. May this uh, time be pleasing in your sight, for we ask you in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. We're going to begin singing this morning with Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing.
pray together this morning. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, God, Lord, thank you so much for all your many blessings, God. And, um, thank you for being a God who binds our heart to you, God. Um, Lord, this week as I've um, just kind of dived into Ezekiel from Halloween stuff, God, how encouraged I've been to know that you put dry bones together and give them muscles and flesh to form an army, God. And if you can do that um, with a valley of bones, God, Lord, how much more can you do with us who are here in your house to worship um, and here seeking your face this morning, God? Lord, may um, you set us all out on a specific mission this week, God, but this morning to get us ready for whatever you have in store for us for the week, may you remind us, God, that it's because of a wonderful Savior um, that we even get to be here to worship God. Lord, I just love you, um, and I thank you so much just for your word and for the promises that it um, blesses us with, God. And Lord, I thank you for mornings that we get to take communion and just remind ourselves of the sacrifice that was paid, God, so that we may live freely, Lord. May we just have a reset button this morning with you, God, and may you speak clearly to us through Pastor Neil. We just love you and praise you and turn this time of study over to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Amen. The hymn we just sang, You Know I Love. I love the perspective that it gives us to reorient ourselves toward what, what God is doing and who He is and what He's promised for us. Um, I'm grateful for the text we have this morning, Luke 12. If you turn there, verse 13. Luke 12, 13. And I'm going to read all the way through verse 34 because, <coughs> excuse me. As you will see, what Jesus says after this interruption by a wealthy man connects to, to his question, or actually his, his desire that he states in verse 13. So this morning we have a foolish interruption. <laughs> a foolish interruption. How many of you have ever been interrupted while you were teaching or talking? Oh Yeah. Probably happens a lot to Michelle and, 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 and Catherine, people who work in education. You know, we've had some interruptions here before uh, at times during, during the sermon. I'm not going to get into the details, but we've been interrupted before. And I'm thinking, whoa, you know, how do you, how do you handle this? Um, we took a mission trip to Ohio. We went two or three years in a row. I can't even remember. But there was, there was a little kid at East Lake named Elijah, and while, while we, were, we, we would do basketball camps, and then we would have a time of teaching, and then we would eat lunch, and Elijah, as soon as we started trying to teach, he always had, excuse me, excuse me, I have a question, excuse me, I mean like clockwork, and it happened multiple years. And so still to this day, I remember, and sometimes I'll do it, um, excuse me, but Elijah, he, he had food on his mind. He always wanted to know, you know, what are we going to have for lunch? <laughs> um, the question in verse 13, the statement in verse 13, I want you to notice what this, what this man does in this interruption, because Jesus is teaching, and, and we were going through this last week. He's talking about the Pharisees and being aware of the leaven of the Pharisees. You know, greed and hypocrisy and 
selfishness and bitterness and pride. And, and, and Jesus then talks about bigger issues, heaven and hell, and professing him before, before men. And so as Jesus teaches and prepares his disciples, look at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? And Jesus said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. So then in verse 16, Jesus tells them a parable. Saying, the land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, You have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night, this very night, your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And that's where our exposition today is going to stop. But the next time we're together in Luke 12, I'm going to finish here. Verse 22. What I want you to notice is that this is what Jesus means by being rich toward God. Because he says to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Life is more than food and the body than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, and they have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them how much more valuable you are than the birds. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why are you anxious about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, but I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, O men of little faith? And do not seek what you shall eat and what you shall drink. And do not keep worrying for all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your Father, your Father knows that you need these things. But seek for his kingdom, and these things shall be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to charity. Sounds like he's correcting the rich man still, doesn't it? And he's telling his disciples, you want to know what to do with your possessions? 
Sell your possessions, give to charity, make yourselves purses which don't wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Father, this morning we pray that you would examine our hearts, reveal our treasures. Because if everyone's like me, Lord, as we work through this text, we know that we have misplaced priorities. There are things that we put above our passion and service to you. And I pray, Lord, that you would convict us and change us and grow us and move us in the right direction. Father, uh, thank you for your provision. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for this parable that Jesus teaches, which graciously is meant to turn us toward treasuring you above all else. We need your grace and your love to be able to do that, to love you appropriately. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, this morning in our, in our text, just in verses 13 through 21, and let me go ahead and say, all of this is leading up to communion. So, so let's hear this text. You know, once a month we, we, we are taught, or, or that's what we are doing, we are taught to remember our Lord the way He commanded us to remember Him And so all of this is going to work toward what God has done for us through the cross, through Christ, and through the resurrection. So what a great reminder we have in the Lord's Supper of what truly matters and what God has done to reorient and reset us. But what we have in verses 13 through 21, I want you to notice there's not just a foolish interruption, but there's also a serious warning. There's also a parable that gives us perspective. And then there's some wise instructions on how to live. So first, consider the toxic nature of greed. The toxic nature of greed. Now this rich man, one thing to notice is he's already wealthy, okay? He is already rich. But for whatever reason, he's not content and he doesn't, feel rich, and his question or his interruption to Jesus, it's not really a question, it's almost a a command. Teacher, look at verse 13. Tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Now, is it just me, or does that statement, that desire, seem a little bit out of order? It seems out of place. It seems like this guy, Jesus is teaching about eternal matters and big matters and confessing him before men. Teacher. <laughs> he, he, in his statement, gives his heart away, doesn't he? This week in PE, Bennett said a kid playing soccer took a ball to the chest. And it reminded me of something that happened years ago when one of my older sons was playing soccer. Every kid wants to be goalie when you're in the younger ages. And there was a kid on the opposite team took a ball to the chest and it knocked the wind out of him. And he fell to the ground. And the coach went running out there. And the players gathered around this injured goalie. And one of the kids, as they were gathered around, one of the kids on that team raised his hand and said, Coach, he says, 
Can I be goalie now? <laughs> Just out of the blue, revealing what? Revealing his heart. Revealing what he wanted out of the situation. Jesus is talking about eternal matters, and this guy, what's he sitting there worried about? What's he sitting, we could put it like this, what is he sitting in church thinking about? He's thinking about his money. In fact, in particular, he's thinking about this family issue that he has with his brother. And so his statement, he gives himself away. He, he lets the cat out of the bag that while Jesus is teaching on all these issues, he's like Elijah. He's got lunch on his mind, you know. He's got himself on his mind. He's got this family conflict on his mind. So here's a question. While, while teaching and preaching about eternal issues, what, what goes on in our heart and mind? What are we anxious about? What are we worried about? These lesser issues. To me, this man from the crowd has missed the point. He's missed the point. He is reducing Jesus down to help him solve his little small agendas. He wants help on some of the lesser things of life. Not the eternal issues that Jesus had been speaking on. I was listening to a radio program a few weeks ago and the call in, the, the theme, the topic was if, if you had a magic pill that could do away with or help with anything in life, what would it be? And one caller called in and says, I want a pill that will help with Mondays. <laughs> Is there a Monday pill out there? And somebody else calls in and I want a pill to help with selfishness and narcissism. And somebody else called in, well, if we had a pill for racism, you know, and all these other issues that are going on in life. That seems to be where this man is. This is important. This matters. But it's off the ultimate topic that Jesus is talking about. This man does not say, hey, I'm ready to confess you publicly as Savior and Lord. He doesn't say that. He says, Jesus, I've got an issue. Can you help me with it? So he's reduced Christ down to his, to his agenda. Which leads me to ask for us, what lies underneath the surface of our heart and life? Jesus is warning the disciples against the leaven of the Pharisees. And this man in the crowd has the leaven of the Pharisees inside of him. And his statement to Jesus, his interruption is foolish because it gives away the heart that he has, which is greedy and selfish. We may have greed, resentment, self-pity, anger, envy, lust. Jesus is drawing all this to the surface. Now notice what he says about greed and its toxic nature. I think verse 14 is such an interesting statement. Verse 14 is ironic to me. Because Jesus says to the man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? Now, I, I struggle with that because Jesus is the ultimate judge. He's the ultimate arbiter. He is the mediator. But it's almost as if, if this man, through his greed and selfishness, can't see that, 
Jesus is not going to be that, right? He's not going to deal with these lesser issues until he first becomes Lord and Master and Judge over your life in the bigger issues. So this is what he says in verse 15. Beware and be on your guard against every form of what? Greed. So greed is dangerous. So you remember the, the children playing sword fight. On guard, right? Fight it. Defend yourself against it. It is dangerous. It is toxic. I picture jellyfish in the water where you want to go swimming, but they're, 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 they're there and they'll sting you. And these, these men of war, they have these long tentacles and, and, and you're, you're, you be aware of them. Stay away from them. If necessary, fight them. And what makes greed so interesting and, and dangerous is that it takes many forms. Look at verse 15. Every form of greed. That is the original sin. That is the temptation that Satan gave to Adam and Eve. What God has provided for you here is not enough. It's the big lie, isn't it? You don't have enough. There's something that God is withholding from you. You deserve more. And it looked good to Eve. So greed, greed has so many different kinds of forms. It comes in all shapes and sizes. I heard Andy Stanley say years ago that people will confess almost anything but a greedy heart. We know it's nasty. They'll confess lust. They'll confess impatience. They'll confess anger. But man, you try to pin me on greediness? We struggle with that because we know the, we know the danger of it. We know the, 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 but, but it seems to be the sin that underlies a lot of the other sin that we have in our lives. And so Jesus warns us against it. Be aware of it. Fight it. Mortify it. Then he corrects us in verse 15. Look, not even when one has a lot of stuff... Does his life consist of his possessions? So we know the homeless person. We know the poor person. We know that their life is not in their stuff. They don't have any stuff. But we're tempted to think that the wealthy person has more life than the poor person. Or that they're worth more than the poorer person. Jesus says, no, no, no. Be aware of greed. Be on your guard against greed. Mortify greed. Not even when you have a lot is your life wrapped around your stuff. Which leads us to ask, well, what is life? What is life all about? And we'll get to that at the end. So I was given a book this past week by Mr. Howard Scarborough, our newest member. He joined last Sunday, and I really thought he'd be over there this morning, but he's not. Y'all, he gave me a great book this week, and I started reading it, and it was on this topic. Just providentially, and, and Rico Tice, who was a pastor in London, talked about success. And this was very convicting. And I, I just want to read to you what it, what it says. Success is hearing well done from the only lips that matter. That, of course, is God, right? Listen to this. Failure is being successful at things that don't truly matter at all. 
Failure is being successful at things that don't truly matter at all. You probably knew this already, but here it is. How hard it is to live it. How hard it is not to want the praise and affirmation now, here, from those around you and from your own heart. How hard it is not to count success in terms of the size of your house, the behavior of your kids, or perhaps most dangerous of all, the size or budget of your church or the publishing and sales of your books. Failure is succeeding in the things that don't really matter. Success is hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. I would think failure would be hearing, you fool, from God. But let me just say that ministers are not exempt, and that's where he was going with this last statement. The size or budget of your church, the publishing and sales of your book. Well, I don't have any books to sell. (laughs) But let me say this. A few years ago, a local pastor felt called and led of God to go to another church, a bigger church, with a bigger budget. And someone who does not go to this church asked me a very penetrating question. He said, why is it that when God moves you pastors and you feel led of God to move to other churches, he said, why is it that you always are led to a bigger church with a bigger budget? I was like, whoa. We all know the answer to that question, though, don't we? We all buy into that thinking and that mentality. Years ago, I heard a story about a farmer. And this farmer had two cows. And he told his wife, he said, tell you what I'm going to do. One of these cows I'm going to dedicate to the Lord, and the other cow we're going to have for ourselves. Tells his wife that. Later on, one of the cows dies. And he goes in there and he tells his wife at dinner, he says, I hate to tell you this. He said, but the Lord's cow died today. (laughs) And she says, honey, how do you know that that was the Lord's cow that died? Right? How do you know? We all have to be aware of the different forms that greed takes in our own heart and life. What is success? What is success? Well, it's hearing, well done, good and faithful servant, from the only lips that matter. Failure is being successful at things that don't truly matter at all. Our newest member, Howard Scarborough, (laughs) gave me a book that was pretty convicting this week. So my first point today is, is, is about greed. And it's about the toxic nature of greed. But then the parable that Jesus tells is, is really about the foolish perspective of pride. Because it's pride that feeds greed. Now what I want you to notice about this parable in verse 16, is that Jesus is being very gracious by giving this man this warning. Now, often as I've read this and taught this and preached this, I've not connected that this is a parable. In other words, this is not what really happened to the greedy rich man, but it's what could happen to the greedy rich man. So the parable is not actually what happened to him, but it's what could happen to him. So Jesus is telling this story as a warning against pride and the foolish perspective of pride. Now how do I get that? 
So in verse 16, I already told you that Jesus recognizes what's going on in this man's heart. He's already wealthy. And so Jesus tells him this story. Now remember, Jesus had been preaching and teaching, and this is an interruption, and now Jesus tells a parable in light of the interruption. He says, a rich man, his land, oh, is very productive. But what I want you to notice is, did you notice as I read that, and I really should have emphasized it a little more, I, 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 and my, 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 what will I do with my land and my money and my possessions? There are 11 personal pronouns in this particular parable. And I think that is important. I think that Jesus is sharing this parable with us because he wants us to realize that when our lives are driven by ourselves and our own ego and our pride, that we become completely self-absorbed. We become completely driven by self-importance and and, and self-affirmation and self-advancement. Self, self, self is all through this parable. And just as this man interrupted Jesus, look at the interruption in verse 20. But God, but God said to him. So he's saying, he's saying, he's he's having this self-conversation. But there's a conversation that he's avoiding. And that conversation he's avoiding is the conversation that he should have with God. So what are we telling ourselves? In our own little fantasy world, what do we begin to say to ourselves about what we're going to do? This reminded me of Isaiah 14 where the devil's sin was what? I will, I will, I will. Read chapter 14 of Isaiah. Satan's fall was all based on his proud arrogance and desire to climb up to be like God. I will, I will. Read James, the book of James. It is foolish for us to say today or tomorrow we will do this. But those are the conversations we have with ourselves. And I'm not exempt. I'll tell you how weird I am. <laughs> when I was a child growing up, I had a Nerf goal in my room. You know what a Nerf goal is with a little Nerf basketball? Y'all, I created my own little world where I would play imaginary games <laughs> and I would have what I called talk games. I would talk to myself. I had the crowds. I had the, I had, I had the whole thing in my head and in my world. And as I imagined myself playing these games, my team always won. <laughs> I always had a really good game. (laughs) I was in total control, total fantasy land in my own little world. I'm so weird that I drew up little sheets (laughs) with players and stats and scores. And you're thinking, I don't know if I told all that. But I created this own little world where I was in control. I had the illusion, right, of power and control and and it was, it was my league, and it was my goal, and it was my game. My, my, my. But then mom would interrupt. <laughs> Supper's ready. Have you done your homework? Ah, reality breaks in. 
to our own little fantasies. Now, I also do this as an adult. My, 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 I, I, I. But reality will break in. And let me tell you what this man in the parable is, is discounting. He's discounting three things. And, and Jesus brings them up. Number one, he discounts his accountability to God. He discounts his accountability to God. But God said to him, what? You fool. This very night, your soul is required of you. In his fantasy of his own power, control, and wealth, he's forgotten something that's very basic. His life is not his own. Sorry, Billy Joel, it's not your life. <laughs> Sorry, Frank Sinatra, it's not I did it my way. And we've talked about that before. Our lives are not our own. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the sky and the sea and all that's in it. He's forgotten his accountability to God. He is saying, my soul, you have many, many goods. He's also discounting the brevity of life. One of the foolish things he says in his pride is, oh, you have many years. You have many years. Well, that's a lie. This interruption from God comes suddenly, right? And this is what I've noticed about us. We're, we need that reminder in James where James says, your life is just a vapor, it's just a mist, it's here and it's gone. I think it's Psalm 39 that says, Lord, remind me of how transient I am. Remind me, Lord, how transient I am. Because in my illusion, in my fantasy world, I forget the reality that this life is very brief. So I can't say today or tomorrow. No, I can only say today. Recent homecoming parade at Heard County, I drove one of the cars. A friend I went to high school with, she says to me, she was also driving one of the cars. She said, did you ever think when we were in high school down here that one day we would be doing this? <laughs> and I said, no. <laughs> I mean, at that point in my life, I wasn't thinking at all about aging in the future. We just don't think. We don't think about the passing of time and how brief it is. Have you noticed that no matter how many years we're given, no matter how old someone is, they say, what about their life? What do they say? Man, it went by like that. So it's almost as if we're not created for time. We are created for eternity. And that's exactly what the Bible says. He has said eternity in our hearts. And this man is banking on the future. Well, the future tomorrow never comes. <laughs> but then last of all, he discounts the certainty of death. God said to him, you fool. This night, your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. And the fact that we are under a penalty, the fact that we are under a curse, the fact that we are all aging and our body keeps getting in the way ought to tell us something about our mortality. It tells us that death is coming. 
It tells us that we cannot presume on tomorrow. It tells us that there is a judge and there is an arbiter and we need to be concerned not about our small agendas and who's going to have more between my brother and me of our inheritance. No, there's a bigger judgment. There's a greater mediation needed. And that's why Jesus is very ironic in verse 14. Man, who appointed me judge and arbiter over you? (laughs) The one who knows the rest of the story knows who appointed Christ as judge and arbiter over us. So there's the foolish perspective of pride. So in my pride and in my foolishness, I typed up a prayer that I thought was appropriate in light of this. What is God's estimation of my life? Would he say to me, well done, good and faithful servant? Or would he say to me, you fool, you fool. See, this guy was having a conversation with himself, but he was avoiding a conversation he should have had with God. What should he have said about his wealth and his possessions? He should have said, God, what would you have me to do with what is yours? And that's what we have in the second half of what I read and what we have in what Benji read. If you're wealthy, you acknowledge that it's all the Lord's. If you're wealthy, give to those in need for the glory of God and of Christ. So here's what I typed up. This is me, okay? Lord, I'm so blessed. I have much more than I deserve. Forgive me for being selfish and ungrateful, for thinking that I deserve more or anything besides your grace. Teach me and change me so that I will trust you and give to you by loving and serving others. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Motivated by your grace and out of gratitude to you, please show me how my resources should be used to minister your grace to others. Please show me how my resources, and we could add talents and time and everything to that, should be used to minister your grace to others. Lord, save me from the foolish perspective of pride. Now let me close with this. Verse 21 makes a shift, and the shift goes into the teaching on anxiety and possessions and trust, and God has prepared for you a kingdom, so give your stuff away. That's coming later. But verse 21 really hits home on the, the new direction, the new life, the better way. The way that if you will do this, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. That if you do this, you will hear your father's praise This is my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. The praise of the praiseworthy that we all search for and desire and would love. And this, this. There's the infinite worth of living for God. That's the opposite way. That's the way of the disciple. Jesus is saying in verse 21, Don't be like the rich man in the parable who put up treasure for himself. Instead, be rich toward God. And everything he says after that is how to be rich toward God. 
That's a future sermon for a future day. But we know what it means. It means to worship Him above all. It means to love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It means to give your life, your soul, and everything for Him. But then that begs the question, how in the world am I going to be rich toward God? Let me close by saying, this story is going toward good news. Where? The wealthiest being in the universe, God, became poor so that you and I could become rich spiritually. Jesus is the one who left glory and heaven and became nothing. Born in a manger in Bethlehem, he lived a perfect life of servanthood and simplicity and giving away himself. In Gethsemane, Father, not my will, but your, be, your will be done. Serving and washing the disciples' feet. The ultimate example of someone who is rich, giving himself away is seen on the cross of Christ. Where he lost and gave Everything He bore on Himself my penalty, my sin, my shame. So that I might become spiritually rich, Paul says. Paul said that. So now I have this wealth that I can be rich toward God with, which is gratitude and love and service and talent and life. What's going to change me from being a greedy heart to becoming a giving heart? Not just in money, but in everything that we are. So we have locally an example. I haven't been yet, and Durrell's not here this morning. But I'll never forget going to Washington to the Vietnam Memorial Wall there. It was very moving. It's even more moving to see what people have left in memorial for those who died. And here in my mind, man, that was a tense conflicting time in our nation but you have these young guys and, and late who were going over there and, and in the prime of their life they were sacrificing everything in the prime of their life they were giving all it's very humbling and when I take my greedy selfish heart thinking I deserve better and we need more and man, you stand before the wall. I plan to go this afternoon, Lord willing. I know already. It's very humbling. It creates gratitude. It creates thankfulness. It inspires service. But you know what we have as a reminder? The moving wall is a living memorial. It is a tr literally a traveling memorial. Why would God give us communion? Someone has described it as a moving and living memorial that goes with the church throughout history to do what? To show us that our forgiveness, our new nature, our future glory in heaven is all possible because there was a lamb who was perfect and unblemished, 
who laid down his life for us. There was a good shepherd who gave his life for the sheep. And so what God wants us to do is when we become greedy and selfish and we think we deserve better or more, and we deserve it now, God takes us back to the cross. And when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, what does the hymn writer say? My richest gain I count but loss, and I pour contempt on all my pride. The cross is where I need to go to deal with my foolish pride and greed. The Lord's Supper is the interruption that we need. It is the interruption we need in our daily life to remind us of the grace of God to us in Christ and change our hearts from greediness to giving. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we know the rest of Luke is, is about the story of, of the wealth that you have and that you gave on our behalf. That's, that's where Luke's going. And throughout his gospel, he has a heart for the poor. He has a heart for the broken. He has a heart for the lonely. He has a heart for the empty. It's because he knows the wealth that is in Christ of forgiveness, sacrifice, and transformation and provision. Help us to see the glory and the wealth of the gospel, the treasure that is the gospel, so that we would treasure you appropriately relative to, Lord, the treasures of, of this world that are so temporal and so shallow. Help us by your grace as we sing this to work it out personally in our daily life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Here it is, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross.
be seated. We will now take communion. If you did not get a cup as you came in, please uh, do that if you feel so led to partake this morning. Peel off the top layer as usual. Attempting to remind ourselves of the sanctity and holiness of, of this moment with Christ and his disciples and also this moment with us and Christ. And this is what he gave. This is what he did. When he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body which is for you, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And they did eat. In the same way, we'll take the cup. Instead of holding on to his rights and privileges as son, he poured them out on our behalf. And then that's how we live our lives. Our lives poured out for his glory and in gratitude for what he's done. So he took the cup also after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And they did drink. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He is returning again. Father, thank you so much for your grace and love, our time together this morning. Thank you for reminding us and interrupting us with the grace and sacrifice of your Son. Help us not to save ourselves, not to merit or earn forgiveness, but out of gratitude. Empower us to, to give our lives away, our bodies, our minds, our talents, our resources, Moved by what you've done for us in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Catherine, would you close us, please? Phil Stamos and the doxology together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures. Have a great week.